I'm thankful you're here. If you have your Bibles, we're in Nehemiah chapter 5, and um, turn there with me if you would. You know, um, if you're visiting today, last year, or excuse me, in August, we started the book of Ezra. And I'm on the wrong side. I like the other side better. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I like this side better. I don't know why. I just do. But we, we started the book of Ezra. And, um, and now we're in Nehemiah chapter 5. Those are two books that are really good to study together. Because in, those, in, in these two books, you see some really important things taking place. You, you see God setting up the altar, because that's Ezra. Ezra was the rebuilding of the altar. Then you see in Nehemiah the rebuilding of the temple. And, and this is so important to understand the historical kind of picture and context because, because it's right after Ezra and Nehemiah, the altar and the temple were built, that the intertestamental period began. And here's what I mean by that. The, the period of time that went from uh, the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. It's about 400 years. And, and that was a period of time that, not, that, that there were no prophets that spoke. Not one prophet spoke during that time. It was a dark time. It was, a, um, it, it was, it was really a, a forerunner, a time that the world was getting ready for the Messiah. And, and so the prophets stopped speaking after Ezra and Nehemiah, and it, they wouldn't speak again until John the Baptist would enter the world. And John the Baptist, remember, he was the forerunner of the Messiah. And it's, it's interesting, as you, as you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, this is very important, because Ezra and Nehemiah were direct fulfillments of prophecy, like to the T. Uh, and, and really, when you think about it, the fulfillment of prophecy, that's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible. That's one of the reasons why you should be confident in the book that you hold in your hand. Because all through, uh, all through history, and th- th- it's one of the reasons why you should be confident in the God that we serve, the God of the Bible, in Christ, and his coming to the earth, and, and, and his one day coming again. Because these are all fulfilled, th- these are prophecies. Now, we haven't seen the second coming of Christ, but, that, but bank on it, that's going to be a prophecy that will be fulfilled. So, you can, you can know the Bible. You can trust the Bible. Um, that's very important to understand. Yeah, this is a, a, a real message of Ezra and Nehemiah. Do you know another message that we see in both Ezra and Nehemiah? You see these two men. And, and, and they set a pattern that's very important. Ezra, like we looked at in Ezra 7.10, and we memorized that verse, that, that Ezra uh, and Nehemiah were encountering the people of God after they had drifted away from the Word of God. They, they drifted away from knowing what God had said. They di- drifted away from doing what God had said. They drifted away from passing on uh, the word of God to the next generation. And, and, and so in Ezra and Nehemiah, these were two men that studied the law of God. They, they went to study the Bible. They, they then put it into practice in their life, and then they taught it, and they, they passed it on to the, the, the coming generation. And I'll tell you, this is so important for us. I mean, I mean, goodness, I got in a little trouble last week because I had mentioned that my daughter is pregnant and I'm going to be a great, I'm going to be Padre. Isn't that a cool name? That's a cool name. Pa, that's my grandpa name, Padre. I don't look, Jason, I don't look old enough to be a grandpa, do I? 
I still got it though. Come on. Um, and uh, but pa- Padre is my grandpa name. But but I'll tell you, I'm I'm excited about a new generation in our family, and I'm I'm even more convinced of how important it is for us to pass faith to the next generation. And this is one of the messages of Ezra and Nehemiah. They were faithfully passing their their belief in God, their trust in the Lord, the following following the Lord is important to the next generation. And, and this is important. And knowing the Word of God is critically important, right? Knowing what God says is, is important. I, I just started a biography uh, this week on Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's a pastor that I, I just have always read. He's written some really cool books. And, and uh, well, his sermons are, are really just recorded into books. And, and, uh, and he talks about, he, he kind of made this famous, that, that, that right belief in God in your head what that translates, what that does, it, it lights a, a fire in your heart, lights, lights a flame in your heart, he says. Uh, when, when your head is right, your heart gets a flame that turns into a fire of obedience in your will. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, progression that we need to know the Word of God. It's like what we see in Ezra and Nehemiah. They knew the Word. They studied the law of God. They did the law of God, and then that moved them to this generational teaching of the law of God. Now, Nehemiah 1 and 2, we saw that uh, a couple weeks ago that Nehemiah was this man of prayer and Bible study, and that led him to action because he realized the prophets had said the walls of the, of the temple, uh, walls of Jerusalem need to be rebuilt. So what Nehemiah did, he said, look, I've got a position. I'm a, a political guy, so I can rally this. And, and the Lord used him and, and rallied resources around him, and he moved to Jerusalem and said, hey, let's get to work. And his, but we see his, in chapter 1 and 2, his life and his prayers. This is Nehemiah's uh, example is such an important thing to look at. In chapter 3 and 4, we saw something really interesting last week, how Nehemiah led led God's people to the middle of his will, and then all this conflict started. All this challenge started. And, And honestly, especially living in Tulsa, because we are kind of in the, the, the mecca of the health, wealth, and prosperity idea. You know what I mean by that? There's a lot of people that will teach, a lot of preachers that will teach that if you follow the Lord, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. But the Bible just doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't communicate that. It's always best to be in the middle of God's will. But, but here's the reality. The middle of God's will is, is uncomfortable. It's not always safe. It's definitely not comfortable. It, uh, it causes us to, to step into the unknown. The Bible calls that living by faith, right? Not by sight. And, and this is what it means to follow the Lord. And, and, and in Nehemiah, this is one of those places that we see in Scripture that's so glaring that when you follow the Lord, it's uncomfortable. And so let's recognize that as we follow the Lord, and it's uncomfortable. Nehemiah served the Lord in spite of this incredible risk to himself and, to, and God's people were facing incredible opposition. Now we get to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is really interesting. That was all Nehemiah 1, 2, 3, and 4. And we get to chapter 5 and let's camp here for a little bit because there's another challenge we see when we serve the Lord. Not only when we serve the Lord will there be, will there be opposition that we will face from a spiritual enemy or, or in the spiritual battle, but in Nehemiah chapter 5, 
not only is there outside opposition, but notice this, every time God works, we will work through conflicts on the inside. We will work through internal conflicts. And that's Nehemiah 5. And what you see, it's interesting, because chapter 4, they're coming together and they're working together. They're building the temple. And then chapter 5, they get into a fight. And you know what's, what it's over? It's so, it's so relevant to our American culture. They get in a fight over money. And it's fascinating. They, they, what they did is they stopped helping each other. There were some that got greedy. Uh, and they needed to learn that God blessed them for a reason. That they, they, they really needed to discover that generosity was the best way to live. And, and, and here's what you have. You have a moment where Nehemiah is really, really mad. And you know what I want to do today? I want to feel it. I want to feel Nehemiah's confrontation. And I think that's important. Now look at chapter 5, verse 1. And look at verse 1. It says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So not only are they mad, their wives are mad. Okay, you know, this is like when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, right? Their wives are mad. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. So this is tense. This is a tough time. They were, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were some, those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our field and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as, is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. Now look at, verse five, look at chapter 5. This outcry, you, you see the, the, the terrible situation that they're in. It's a tough situation. But notice, this outcry is not against uh, the outside people, the the. the the Arabs or all the other people. You know, this is, a, this is an outcry from Jews about Jews. The Jews aren't crying it out against the people of the, of the land here. They're, they're crying out because uh, some of their own family, their own brothers are getting greedy and, and they're getting selfish and they're, they're taking advantage of one another at their time of need. Now, Nehemiah, we know he'd been studying the law of God. So flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 23. This is something Nehemiah was likely studying because what's happening is there were, uh, they were mortgaged, mortgage, how do you say that word? Brandon, how do you say that word? Mortgage, you're a financial. Yeah, more, well, that guy. They're mortgaging. That's, one more time, Brandon, loud. Yeah, that. They were doing that. But Nehemiah was studying chapter 23, verse 19. Look what he says. Do not charge your brother interest on money, food, or anything that can earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you must not charge your brother interest. So the Lord, your God, may bless you in everything you do in the land you are entering to possess. Now, 
you see some things about this outcry. And we saw it in the first five verses that there's this inability of the poor to work, to provide for themselves. Because what were they doing? They were working on the wall. And so there were some that were saying, look, um, if if I work on my fields, the work on the wall would suffer. So I've got to go work on the wall, and, there, and there, there's a burden. There's a mounting financial burden on mortgaging the fields and the vineyards, and, and they're having to pay taxes here, and, and, and there's just an overall burden. And, and, and it's so much so that, that they're losing their property and their fields, and, and, they're, and they're putting their, their children, they, they use the word slavery here, the idea is they were, they were working and, and living in homes of people that could pay them, and it's, and it's like a, a indentured servanthood is what it is. And this compromised the moms and their children. And, and, and boy, it's a tough time. And, and, but they're trying to come together to finish this work. Now, Nehemiah is mad. Now, you thought I forgot to stand in honor of God's word. I didn't. Stand with me right now. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. And let's look at this passage. Look how mad he is. I want to feel it today. I want to hear it today. I was very, verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. And said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, you may be seated. Now this is a tense business meeting right here. Nehemiah is mad. You know what what we see here? Something very important for our church, for the time that we serve the Lord, for this experience that we will have when we follow the Lord and walk with the Lord, we will have a, we should expect opposition externally and internally. But here's what we know. The most, point number one is that the most hurtful and damaging conflicts are always internal, Right? Those are some of the most difficult conflicts. And, and this is an important lesson because these were tough days that they were serving. And, and I look at the days we're in and I think, oh my goodness, what, what challenging times that we are in. You know, I'm grateful right now because, you know, there's some people home that are sick right now. Dan Johnston, Dan, you're watching right now. And I'm, I just want to say to you, thank you for texting me right before this service. We prayed for you. And Dan is home And I'll tell you, some of you may not know Dan, but he's been in our church a long time and has been at the Cleveland Clinic and he's home and he's improving and I'm thankful that we live in this time. But, but, But you know, when I think about the, let's just think about it. Like, like we live, we we didn't anticipate a, a, a pandemic that would hit us like it hit us. But look at what has happened in the life of our church. Before the pandemic happened, look what God had done in our lives. He had moved us to build the mission over off Garnett before we even saw this kind of need. And I'm so thankful that we were in the, uh, just got to be a part of a church that built something for the purpose of helping people. And I look at what's happening right now with our car care clinic that 
that many of our guys put together, our senior adult food ministry that Stacy helps lead, and and I think about our, our, our furniture ministry that we, we get to be a part of and, and just the way we're, we're, we're striving to build the mission. I mean, we just had our golf tournament a couple of weeks ago, or a week ago, I guess. We go Friday. And, and man, just the impact that we're seeing in the community. And then, and then I think about what God's doing in our church and how the next week, oh my goodness, next week, we start in Spanish every week. And, uh, and it hit me this week because uh, uh, on, on Thursday, Misael got a, got a migraine headache, and we were like, okay, man, do we need to cover you on Sunday? And I thought to myself, man, starting next week, if Misael got sick, we're going to have to cover him in Spanish. And I was looking in the mirror, and I thought, Awesome. That's going to be fun. You know, the, the fact that, that, that God has allowed us to, uh, to, to serve him. And then I think about the, one of the things I'm praying for. There's some Afghan believers that we're hoping we can get to Tulsa. To, I mean, goodness, there's over 800 Afghanis coming to Tulsa. And we may get to have some Christian leaders that, that are here. That's right. Praise the Lord right there. Um, He's taking over for Steve tonight, today. That's good. Um, but, but, oh, my goodness, every time a church serves the Lord, we better get ready for outside attacks but also internal challenges. And let's think about it. Actions towards one another, that really does reveal our walk with the Lord, doesn't it? That really reveals what we think about God. And when I think about what's going on in Nehemiah, these are tough times. And, and all through history, God moves his people to act in the middle of tough times. He calls us to tough times. And when I look at all that God is doing in our church, I think, wow, Lord, you have entrusted us with so much. And and that's why it's, it's important that we learn to respond here. We learn the lesson here in Nehemiah 5 that, that tough times call for builders, right? Now, I know you're saying, oh, that's cute, Chris. They're building a wall, and tough times call for builders. And, but, but I think we need to be a builder. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, we may not have a wall to build around Owasso or Tulsa, but we're called to be builders, Romans 15, 1 and 2, look at this verse. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, let's, I want you to look back at verse 1, uh, that verse one there in Romans 15. It says, notice that phrase, bear with the failings of the weak. See that? Now, before we get all confident in our strength here, weakness is all of us from time to time, right? We will all be weak at, at times. And, and when we're weak, guess what? We need others. Right here, you see God's people. There were some of them that were weak. And instead of helping, they, they took advantage of them. And... And when we're, when we're weak, we need someone to help us. When we are strong, you know what we need to do? We need to look for someone that's weak to help. And that's something that we, we see here. And I pray we can be a builder. And so what does that look like when you're a builder? Here's what that looks like. That, to, to be a builder, we help 
people understand who they are in Christ, right? Have you ever had that happen to you? Some, have you built someone up helping them understand who they are? You know, Jesus did that with Peter. Remember Peter in Matthew 16? Peter at that time was rash. He was kind of arrogant. He was a fighter. He was, uh, you know, one that may not, you didn't know if you could count on him or not. And in Matthew 16, Jesus looked at Simon and he said, Simon, you're now Peter, which means rock. Now, in that moment, Peter didn't, he wasn't a rock. Jesus was looking at him saying, let me tell you who you are. You know, as followers of Christ, it's, it's our job to be a builder, to look at one another and say, let's recognize who we are in Christ. I mean, my, my wife is one of the greatest examples of this. I see this in her as a teacher. She's always helping students and kids help understand that they, they can be better than they are. And you, you see Nehemiah here. He's looking at God's people saying, look, you're better than this. You're better than this here. And, and, and he's, he's a builder, not just of a wall, but of God's people. And, and you know, when I'm a builder, I, I not only help people see who they are in Christ, but, but I, 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 we can encourage one another in tough times. And this is what we need to do as, as a church, is not tear one another down in tough times. We need to encourage each other in tough times. Look at what Nehemiah does. Look at verse 9. He says, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? He's like, look, guys, this is a bad witness. You, 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 you're treating God's people in this way, and it's just a bad witness to the nations. And it causes me to go, oh my goodness, the way we treat one another is an example to a lost world. We need to recognize this. Verse 10, moreover, look at his example here. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. So Nehemiah, he's lending money. He's lending grain to people. He says, let us abandon the exacting of interest and return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses. And the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And they said, look what they said. We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. So, so what's interesting is they feel this conviction. And there's a couple of things I think about Nehemiah being a builder. You know, if we're going to be builders, when we encourage someone, one, one another, when it needs to be real, right? Nehemiah says, hey, look, I'm giving grain. I'm setting an example for you. He's got a life that backs up what he's saying. He's real. Nehemiah is also specific here. He's like, look, guys, this is what you're doing that's wrong. And, I, and, and if we're going to really be a builder, we need, to, we need to specifically help one another, specifically walk together. And then he's honest here. Nehemiah's honest in his confrontation. And in verse 12, they said, we, we, we'll, we listen to you. We, we'll, we'll, we will restore these things and require nothing from them. Verse 13, look. Well, no, end of verse 12. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they, had, as they had promised. So Nehemiah's like, hey, look, don't just be giving lip service here. The priest came. They said in front of the priest, I, I promise, I swear to do this. 
Verse 13, I also, look at this example. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. Isn't that interesting? Nehemiah's like, look, if you don't do what you say, I pray God shakes out your land and your work from you. So he may be shaken out and emptied. So feel the anger. Feel how mad he is. Feel how confrontational he is. He's like, if you don't do what you say, if you're lying to me and to God, I pray you lose everything. Okay? And all the assembly, look at, look at the end of verse 13. And all the assembly said, amen. You know what they said? You're right, man. Nehemiah, we hear you. You are right, bro. We've been wrong. And look at this. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Oh, we got to feel this, okay? We got to feel it. Because they, they were confronted with, with some serious, hardcore conviction. And, and they embraced it. See, we got to understand conviction. Conviction is not God going, you need to straighten up. You know what conviction is? God going, hey, hey, come here. Come here, son. Come here. I love you. Look, you're going the wrong way. Stop. Look, look, that's what conviction is. If you've ever been a dad or a mom, you've had that moment when your kids have been going the wrong way. And you've gone up to them and go, oh, come on, honey. Honey, I love you. You're going the wrong way. That's why we embrace conviction. That's why we don't push away conviction. And that's why as a preacher, I better not be skipping passages of Scripture like this that are uncomfortable to preach and confrontational to my life. Because conviction is good. You also see, uh, point two is such an important lesson that cooperation in the work of God takes constant attention. That if we're gonna, if we're gonna serve the Lord in our tough times, that we've gotta cooperate together. We gotta come together and figure it out. And you see in God's people here, they, they're learning to serve together selflessly. And this is something we've got to learn from as we listen to this narrative and understand Nehemiah 5. We, we've got to learn to give to one another generously. And, and this is something that we, we've learned from the Lord. Then we forgive one another quickly. And this is what we see. They, they are quick to forgive here. Now, we've studied this. We've looked at this even this year. And back in the, in the winter, if you were with us, as we were going through the book of Colossians, we learned Colossians 3, 12 and 13, where Paul said, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And you see God's people coming together in the midst of the conflict and saying, look, we've got to work this out because we've got a job to do. And you know what? That's got to be what our church does in our day. 
is we got to figure it out. Now, now there's a third lesson that, that I just see in this text, and let's feel this a little bit. Point number three is that God constantly moves his people to financial maturity. What you have here is an example of financial immaturity because they're getting greedy. They're taking advantage of one another. They're not helping one another. And, you know, I've, I've called this message a financial trip because it's a financial stumble. It's a financial misstep here. And let's learn from this. Let's embrace this. And let's, 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 let's ask some really tough questions of ourselves today. And I'll be honest with you, as I, as I bring these questions to us, let me just remind you, I'm bringing it to us, not to you, to me too. Let's, think, let's consider some confrontational questions. Here's one to consider. It's not up on your screen. But do you honor the Lord in the way you deal with your money? Let's feel that. I mean... If you're sitting down with the Lord in your checkbook, are you going to be like, hey, God, look at this? Let me ask you this question. Let me ask us this question. Forgive me. Do we deal with our money in a way that reflects our reputation? that builds a good reputation to the city where we live in Owasso and Tulsa and all the rural areas around us? Do you run, here's third question, do you run your finances according to God's instruction in the Bible? Do you allow God's word to shape your thinking and the way you build your finances? Can I give you something practical, moms, dads, whoever you're going to have lunch with today, if they're your kids, if you have lunch with your family today. You ought to sit down with your kids and go, hey, let me show you how, how we give to the Lord. Let me show you what we do. You may go, oh, well, I don't have a financial conversation with my kids. Are you kidding me? You teach them how to drive? Uh, my daughter, oh, never mind, I'm sorry. We should teach our kids how to drive. Okay, right? <laughs> almost, it cost, uh, that almost cost me a whole lot of money today because uh, I have to pay my kids for, a, for an illustration, so I'm not using it. Um, look, let's teach our kids how to give. I am thankful that my dad, who was a coach, auto mechanic and a coach, my mom, who was a dental hygienist, sat down with us and said, look, here's what we're given as a family. Taught me how to give. I'm so thankful that Robin's parents taught her how to give. You ought to be having a conversation with your, your kids. You may go, Chris, okay, wait, you're, you're, don't you know anything, preacher? You are preaching a giving message out of the Old Testament. We're in New Testament times. Okay. Let me just give you some a reminder that all of the scriptures are beneficial and useful. So I want to I challenge you to write some verses down. And I'm going to give you homework today. So 1 Samuel 
This is a biblical principle. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. The Lord does. There's some people who try to make themselves rich and can't. There's some people that try to make themselves poor and can't. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're blessed. I've known many people that didn't have very much and they were incredibly generous, incredible givers. I've known many people that were very wealthy and they were stingy and hated everything they had. It's not about the amount. But understand, this is a biblical principle. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. The earth, here's the second principle, the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24, 1. Everything in our lives belongs to the Lord. Everything. We are just stewards of what God gives. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by the one who will evaluate how we stewarded what he gave us. Oh, don't, don't miss that. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by the one who will evaluate how we've stewarded it. Third principle, Proverbs 14, 31. The one who oppresses the poor dishonors God. But the one who honors the poor honors God. You see this in Proverbs 14, 31. You see this in how the rich young ruler in Luke 18 was uh, told to sell everything he had. You also see this in, in, uh, Luke, in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus. He wasn't instructed to give away everything he had. It's interesting. Proverbs 6 Six through eight, another biblical print, six and eight. Uh, go to the ant, it says. You slash that passage, go to the ant. Look at how the ant lives. And, and uh, you know, that principle is that wise people, they save in times of plenty. And, and they prepare for times that are, that are needy. And, and I just want to point out, that's what God led us to do as a church. We saved and we gave for a time that we didn't see coming. And I don't want us to miss what God did in front of us. Because it would be very easy to go, oh, we did that. No, God did that. Let's never forget that. Um, let me tell you something. When you learn from the ant, don't you ever feel guilty for opening a savings account. That's wise to save money. And this is, this is financial maturity. And, and then a famous passage in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8. You ought to write that down. That's Paul into the, to the Corinthians saying, look, it's not about your percentage that you should give. We cheerfully give. And that's so very important as you look at a biblical principle. Now, now the, the, the summarizing of this is that, is that there's a responsibility to provide for those in need. And this is what is happening in Nehemiah 5. This is the call of our church that we are responsible to provide for people in need. We have a responsibility for that. Another principle that I see here, that, that, that when you obey God, you put yourself in a position for God to get involved in your finances. And I pray, I want you to have the experience of God being involved in the way you give. And, and that's so cool to experience. Another principle that there's clear purpose and prosperity for followers of Christ. 
that there's a reason God makes us prosperous. Let me tell you something. We live in the United States of America. We are prosperous. There is purpose in our prosperity. And now, now when you're in a time of, when you're in prosperity, you may go, well, Chris, you don't know my check. Let me tell you something. You can go get a drink out of any water fountain in this town. You're prosperous. But in times of prosperity, there's some problems we face. We've got to hear, hear this. First problem is self-sufficiency. We think, look what I did. Oh, boy. Let's be careful to not fall into that, not trip over that, right? Some of these people in Nehemiah 5 were like, oh, I got, I'm good with my money. You're not good with your money. And they took advantage. And Nehemiah's going, hey, wait a minute. Look, uh, don't be self-sufficient here. The second problem of prosperity, there tends to be self-centeredness. We tend to go, oh, man, I, I, this is, this is, uh, I just got to take care of me. Man, it's not our call. God takes care of us. And so, uh, God's telling us that we can get excited about good times of prosperity. Because God's at work and he, he's teaching us, the, the, the op- he's showing us the opportunity to be generous. And, and, and let me tell you something, there is incredible joy in generosity. When I look at what God's done at the mission, I think about that's incredible joy for me. I think about the opportunity that we have to start a service in Spanish next week. Oh my goodness, I'm doing flips over that. Sort of, not, not literally, but, um, but I'm so excited about this. So let's get into the, the anger of Nehemiah here. Let's, let's embrace the conviction here. If you worship money, if your security is in what you have provided for yourself, you got to repent of that today. You got to turn from that today. If your confidence is in what you have done, boy, this is the Lord going, oh, come on, son. Come here. I love you. Oh, come and get my lap and. I got to tell you, you got to go a different direction here. This is probably for somebody here today, whether you're online or in, in the room. If you're using your money to abuse others rather than benefit others, oh, you got to repent of that today. Look, you got to stop that today. You've got to trust Christ today with that. And that's another moment the Lord's going, oh, come on, son. Honey, come on, come on. Trust me. Trust me. Let, let me tell you something. If you don't, there's another third thing. If you're not loving God's people and and working together with God's people. We gotta repent of that today. We got to. That's the problem. God had a wall to build. You know what's so cool about God's people here? They said amen. 
you're right. You know what they did? They finished. They joined the Lord where he was working, that for 400 years the walls of Jerusalem were there, setting the stage for Jesus to enter the world. You know what? We're a church. The Bible has been closed. The the canon has been closed. Here's what I mean by that. There's not any words to add to the scriptures. But there's been this prophecy that has been made that one day Jesus will return. Hadn't been fulfilled yet. Bank on it. It's coming. And until that time, what are we to do to be God's people worshiping, being a witness, serving until Christ returns? Oh, my goodness, Nehemiah and Ezra are so relevant to where we are today. Man, let's follow the Lord. You know where that started for me? It started in a relationship with God that he gave me. He came to me, he saved me. He washed my sins away. And that changed my life forever. And now I'm growing up in my faith. I'm growing up to understand who God is and what he's like and what we're together, we're growing up in our faith. If you don't know Jesus, you can come to him. But, but let me tell you, there needs to be some repentance today. So Joe's going to come. We're going to sing. And maybe you need to, maybe you're ready to, to, to stand and sing. Maybe you need to just sit and get right. Go to the Lord and ask some of these questions today. To feel the, the tension today. Feel this You know, because tension makes us uncomfortable, but we need to come in and recognize that it's really the Lord going, oh, come on, son. I love you. I got you. I'm with you. Let's embrace what the Spirit of God is doing today in you. Because we're not here just checking out a box, checking off a box of worship today, like Joe said earlier. No, we're here engaging the Lord. you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bow to you, thanking you for the way you confront us and meet us. Even though we don't deserve the, just the blessing of coming close to you, 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 you come to us. And you're coming to us now. And so I pray that we would be a church that is that receives your word and, and, and hears your voice. Ah, oh, Lord, we, we, we thank you for how you've prospered us. And so, Lord, with joy, we say to you, here, here's all we have. And we want to be a church that builds where you planted. So lead us. Even now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.